0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Turn now to our scripture readings for this afternoon. In the first place, we read from Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations can never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to the flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the conies. The moon marks off the season's And the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night. And all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor until evening. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures." There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan which you form to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to Him. As I rejoice in the Lord, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Now we go to the New Testament to Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. In this passage, Paul is bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance, And have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This afternoon sermon will be dealing with the eighth commandment, especially as the scriptural truth about this has been summarized for us in the catechism, Lord's Day 42. Let's now read that together. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of His gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus, if we just look at it superficially, the eighth commandment looks easy enough to keep. You shall not steal. And perhaps aside from some minor league cookie jar thieves, we we might actually be looking pretty good on this one. So far as I know, none of us have been busted for holding up financial institutions or breaking into our neighbor's houses to steal their goods. But the catechism makes it clear that the eighth commandment is not just about those superficial kinds of things, serious enough as they are. The eighth commandment goes much deeper. Like all the commandments, it speaks not only to our outward actions, but also to what lives in our hearts. And as people redeemed by Christ, we recognize this call to thankful obedience as being something that's necessary in today's world. All around us we hear voices calling us to live in a different way. A magazine ad for an online casino calls out, Good things come to those who play. And then the 20-something man pictured in the ad looks on wistfully as money falls from the sky. An American greenback's no less. And there's a little text box in the ad. It sweetens the pot. It says, Exclusive offer. Get up to $125 free. Free money. I mean, who can resist? And I can't get these good things if I don't play. I want those good things. I want free money. You can see it's easy to get led into that direction and others like it. But those kinds of directions, they all equally lead away from Christ. They lead away from the freedom that Christ came to bring us. And when we are in Christ, we want to stay in Him. We want to show our thankfulness to Him, our love for Him. By the power of His Spirit in us, We do that by living within the set framework of our covenant relationship. This framework includes the Eighth Commandment. And reflecting on this commandment gives us a healthy outlook on earthly goods and wealth. And this healthy outlook is first matter of the heart. But by the power of the Spirit, we're also enabled to live out what is living in our hearts. By doing this, We bring glory to God in our lives. So the word is preached this afternoon with this theme. The Eighth Commandment speaks about the believer and earthly goods. It speaks, first of all, about the ownership of earthly goods, second, the obtaining, and then finally the use of earthly goods. Well, first of all, the ownership. When our our first child was born, my wife and I, we made a determined effort to keep certain words out of his vocabulary for as long as we possibly could. A little bit of an experiment, you could say. Uh, One of those words was, as you might expect, no. Another word was mine. However, it wasn't long after he began speaking that both those words inevitably crept in. The word mine speaks of possession and ownership. And it's an inevitable part of the world in which we live. Even the most communist nations that ever existed were not able to excise the word mine from the vocabularies of their citizens. Ownership is part of the created order. And Scripture is clear that the Creator is the ultimate owner of everything. If we just look at Psalm 104, it's striking that God not only is in control of all creation, he also lays claim to ownership of it all. You know, those two things don't necessarily go together, right? You can control something, but not necessarily own it. Well, verse 24 of Psalm 104 tells us that everything created belongs to God. Psalm 50 tells us the same truth. In verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 50, we read, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. There's not a square inch of creation that does not belong to God. Scripture is also clear that God gives what He has created to man. Answer 110 of the Catechism, right at the end, speaks of God's gifts to man. You can see this in Psalm 104 as well. God gives food to all His creation, and that includes man. By clearing the land of lions during the day, God makes it possible for man to do His work. Verse 28, Psalm 104 says, When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Here too, you could also think of some of the parables that the Lord Jesus told. One of them, for instance, uh, the parable of the ten minas in, in Luke 19. In the parable of the ten minas, the, the nobleman gave ten minas to ten of his servants. This is intended to portray to us what God does. God entrusts people with gifts. But in the end, those gifts remain ultimately the possession of of the giver. So with our eyes only on God, there is no ultimate ownership here on earth. We only have in our possession what has been entrusted to us. God gives things to us, but when we use the word mine, we should keep in mind that God is really the only one who can say mine. That means we have to increasingly think in terms of yours. And that's with a, a capital Y. With our eyes here on earth, we do speak of ownership and property rights. We, we can use the word mine. What God has entrusted to one person cannot be simply taken by another person at will. You see, we can only speak of ownership and property rights insofar as God has given us these things. To put it another way, our ownership is derived from God's ownership. And seeing that helps us understand why God gives the Eighth Commandment. He wants to protect the earthly goods that He has given us. When the Lord has given someone something, no one else has a right to come along and snatch it away. That's not only an offense to the person involved, it's also a slap in God's face. Such an action says that God was wrong for entrusting that person with this gift. God should have given it to me instead. And you know what that does. That arrogantly calls into question God's wisdom and God's love. So the Eighth Commandment is about protecting what God has given to people, but also you could say it's about protecting God's character. When we joyfully and we thankfully live within the framework that God sets, we will be guarding against blaspheming God and pridefully denying His wisdom and His care for us. Now, understanding the nature of the ownership of earthly goods also gives us a a good basis from which to consider the obtaining and use of these same goods. Let's now look at the obtaining. God always uses means to Give gifts, both spiritually and materially. He works through legitimate means to entrust material gifts to his people. What are those legitimate means? Well, I'm going to mention three. Maybe you can think of more, but there are three that stand out as being the most usual ways that God allows us to receive goods and wealth from his hand. The first is through inheritance. When parents, grandparents, or other relatives pass away, they pass on the wealth that they have accumulated, usually to their their children or their grandchildren. Of course, that's practiced in many cultures of the world and was also found in Old Testament Israel. Find evidence of that in Proverbs 13.22. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Another legitimate way of obtaining earthly goods and wealth is by receiving gifts from other people. Out of the goodness of their heart, someone could decide to give you a gift of some sort. Perfectly legitimate for believers to accept such gifts and and to see them ultimately as coming from God's hand, to praise God for them and to thank God for them. Finally, there are the most common ways of obtaining earthly goods and wealth. And this comes from God's command for man to work. Right from the beginning of the world, before the fall into sin, God gave the command for man to labor. And this labor was expected to produce fruit. When work is blessed by God, God uses it to entrust us with earthly goods and wealth. So also the Catechism explains the Eighth Commandment as God commanding us to work faithfully. You see, when a man works, he normally gets what he needs for himself and his family. He will be protected again. Protected from being tempted to steal, and to defraud, and so on. Laziness, too, is is clearly spoken against in the Scriptures. One passage that we can think of here is 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Believers have to have a healthy attitude about work looking at it not as a a necessary evil like so many people do in our world. But we look at work, among other things, as one way that God uses to bless us. God uses work to bless us with earthly goods and wealth. Think about that. Work did not appear after the fall into sin. Adam and Eve worked before the fall. And this suggests that work will also be a part of life in the new heavens and new earth. If you don't like it here, better get used to it because you're going to be doing it also in eternity. Closely connected with work is investment. In fact, we can put work and investment together because investment is working with what you have to make more. Investment is also a legitimate means of obtaining earthly goods. Investment is legitimized by the way that our savior described it in some of his parables putting your money to work, is wise and shows thought for the future. So there are legitimate means, but there are also illegitimate means. And our catechism very plainly lines them out for us. First off, the catechism mentions outright theft and robbery. Obviously, bank heists are out, but so are shoplifting and and siphoning money out of where it rightfully belongs, whether that's mom's purse or dad's wallet or the the accounts of your employer. These kinds of things do not fit in God's will for our lives as redeemed believers. And the Catechism talks about fraud, either by force or by show of right. Now, show of right, that's a, a strange expression that I don't think you'll find anywhere else other than our translation of the catechism. Show of right means that you're making something to be, appear to be good when it is not. You make it look like everything is above board, but the reality is that behind the scenes you're being crooked. This applies especially to believers who are doing business, operating a business. Everything we do as Christian business people has to be above reproach not only as far as what the public can see and what the government can see, but also as far as the Lord can see, which of course means in everything. This also applies to the rest of us too. For instance, when we're not working, when we're able-bodied and we could work, and then receiving assistance from the church or the government, we make it look like we can't work, but the reality is that we're simply lazy and we don't want to work. Of course, it can happen that we want to work, but we end up being unemployed for a time. Through no fault of our own. And that's something different. We're talking about being able to work, but not wanting to. Just so you can receive an income apart from work. That's a form of fraud. When we put to death the old nature by the power of Christ's Spirit, these kinds of things are not going to have a place in our lives. Neither will gambling. Gambling, if we're, we're gonna define a gambling as the voluntary risking of a sum of money on the outcome of a game or other event. Now, I think we definitely need to make special mention of this. The lotteries have been around in Canada for a lot of years now. For a long time, we've been subjected to this advertising campaign to just imagine Sometimes also believers will be sucked into this just-imagine mindset. Remember the fellow in the States a couple of years back who, who hit it big in the state lottery? Well, He told the media, I don't know how many millions he, he won, but it was a huge sum. And he told the media, to his church. Well, think about that. The next time you're tempted to just imagine. What are you going to do if you hit it big? It's going to be a public matter, right? The whole church will know that you won. A public sin. And you can be sure that this church is not going to accept any percentage of your win. Not 10%. And not 100%. You're going to have to choose between the church of Christ and your money. You're going to have to choose between God and mammon. Because you can't have both. See, brothers and sisters, why not just avoid such a dilemma altogether? Remember the saying, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Be careful, too, what you just imagined. There's not only lotteries. We also have to say something about the current popularity of poker. ESPN and other sports networks have have glamorized gambling and they've made it into a a riveting spectator sport with all kinds of personalities and things going on. When you play poker for cash, let's be honest, there's a big element of gambling involved. Sure, there might also be some skill, but at the end of the day, the risk involved makes it still gambling, no matter how you try to excuse it, no matter how you try to rationalize it. Gambling is about greed. And the Eighth Commandment forbids greed. Gambling is about squandering God's gifts, wasting. And the Eighth Commandment forbids our squandering of God's gifts. The so believers who are redeemed by Christ's blood, being renewed by His Spirit, are not going to be playing poker for cash. Believers will seek to obtain their earthly goods and wealth only in God's ways. And they'll also seek to use those goods that they, they're given in His ways. And that's our last point this afternoon. God gives us earthly goods and wealth through the use of lawful means. Now the question comes, how do we use them? Well, Paul gives us some help in answering this question in Acts 20. clearly says that his life was to be an example for the Ephesian believers, especially the elders. Paul did not have his heart set on what others had, whether that was silver or gold or clothing. He worked hard to provide for himself and for others, even though he could have claimed support from the churches. After all, that was his right as an apostle. Instead, Paul worked hard, and this was to be an example. Verse 35 of Acts 20, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul's life was modeled on the teachings of the Lord Jesus. It wasn't being original. Our lives are to follow the same teachings. In His life on earth, Christ perfectly showed how indeed it is more blessed to give. Just like we heard last Sunday morning, His whole life was characterized by self-sacrificial giving. He gave Himself entirely for us. He gave out of the abundance of His riches so that we could share in life eternal Righteousness and glory. And his obedience in doing all this is credited to us who are in him by true faith. His perfect obedience in giving is now our obedience. And that means, we talk about our day-to-day lives, it means that our lives as believers are going to reflect who we are in Christ. Our lives are going to reflect our status in Christ. His obedience is ours in principle and it also has to be ours in practice in the daily living out of our lives. So because of who we are in Christ, because we are a new creation, we look at our earthly goods and wealth and we recognize that these are gifts from God. That makes us into, like we heard this morning, stewards. People who are responsible for taking care of what properly belongs to someone else. And then the proper model for understanding how we use our gifts is stewardship. Stewardship. As stewards, we're called by God to use the earthly goods that He's given to us cheerfully and willingly for the benefit of those in need. Think of what the Spirit says to us in 2 Corinthians 9 a passage we also heard this morning. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we use our earthly goods in this way, we can count on God's blessing over us. We're also called to use what we've been given for the support of the church and for the ministry of the gospel. All communicant members of this church have received a box of envelopes, donation envelopes, for this purpose. If you're receiving any income, the priority should always be to give of your first fruits to the Lord. Through this use of your earthly goods and wealth, the ministry of the gospel can be maintained locally and also in other places through the mission work that we support. We also use what God has given to support ourselves and, and our families. There's a well-known saying that charity begins at home. Well, that's a scriptural principle. We find it in First Timothy 5, verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a good reminder that our family has to be another priority in our lives when we think about how we use our earthly goods, those earthly goods that have been entrusted to us by the Lord. Finally, when we're in Christ and, and living in His ways, we can also use our earthly goods for our own personal pleasure and enjoyment. And we can do that without any guilt. In the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, In several passages, the people of God were were commanded to feast, to feast before the Lord with all the earthly goods that they had received from His hand. They were commanded to enjoy all these beautiful and wonderful things that God had given them. In the New Testament, the Lord Jesus knew all about poverty, but yet He still went to a, a lavish wedding feast. He went to homes of rich people and ate meals with them. We too, we can rejoice and enjoy when God blesses us with good things. There's to be generosity and there's to be care for the poor. Absolutely. But that does not imply, that does not mean that you have to be miserly for yourself and your family. You can enjoy it. So long as you enjoy what you have before the face of God, so long as you thank Him for His gifts, giving Him all the credit, all the praise, and by doing that, steering a course clear away from materialism, because materialism is idolatry. Scriptures teach us that God delights in giving gifts to people. He does this spiritually in Christ, but He also does it physically and materially. Sometimes He even blesses us with much, much more than we need. Other times the Lord gives the bare minimum. Whatever our situation, the eighth word gives us a framework in which to live out our thankfulness in respect to the earthly goods we've received from above. And as we live out this thankfulness and love today, by God's grace we can look ahead to a day when we will receive a rich inheritance in the new heavens the new earth. Revelation twenty-one twenty-four speaks of the kings of the earth bringing their splendor into the new Jerusalem. That suggests that our inheritance is not going to be just spiritual. There will also be a physical, a material aspect as well. The Spirit is preparing us for that day, brothers and sisters. So let's be committed to walking in step with Him. Committed to thankful and loving obedience to our God today. Let's be faithfully using the earthly goods He has given us for His glory today and forever.